We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back to another episode of the BearCast, sponsored by The Booth Brewing. All your fun. We're back here after, on a Sunday night, after what seemed like an eternity in Provo, Utah. We weren't in Utah. <laughs> but the games felt like an eternity in Provo, Utah. And, yeah, I mean, we, we'll talk about it in a little bit. But, you know, we worked out the win, all that. Any, um, before we go on to the Cal stuff... Any top-of-the-line items for you from this weekend? Mm-mm. No? no? Nothing about Serena Williams that you want to talk about? Nothing about Djokovic? <laughs> no, 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 no. I was thinking about it today. I was like, I'll leave tennis out of it. Huge Djokovic fan. Huge Serena fan. I'm not a big fan of that umpire. Yeah. Um, can we talk just a little bit about how packed that stadium was? Yeah. That was incredible. Yep. I thought we were playing Penn State. Yeah. It was, it was a whiteout game, so like you know, it felt like that that type of home game. But I mean, if BYU comes to Cal, we're putting thirty five, no more than thirty five thousand people in the seats. Well, it depends on when we're playing them too, right? Like, let's say we go the second week of the season this year. Oh uh, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Thirty five, forty k. No, I did. I wonder what the capacity for that stadium was, though. That's what I haven't. I haven't. Let's find out. Yeah. But yeah, it was it, the. I was taken aback. I yeah. had a moment where you know I put this as a lose game. I think in my prediction, yeah. was this was a trap game was, for you? Yeah, this was the one that we were gonna go into, and you know, just BYU wasn't gonna be an easy opponent. What I think benefited us was that Arizona lost them the week before. So then our ability to overlook it, like the attitude on this game, went from a win, at least on the blog comment yeah. section. To, oh boy, this might be lost. Yeah. And I think that also kind of might have played out with the team as well. Not that they would ever overestimate someone, which is kind of what I'm insinuating. So I should backtrack a little bit off of it. But I do think that there was some level of, okay, they're for real. And then, you know, whatever. And then we watched Arizona be terrible. And then they got destroyed by Houston. They, they utterly got destroyed. Speaking on that, you know, as you're looking up, the capacity of the BYU stadium. I wanted to talk just a little bit about sixty three thousand seven hundred and twenty five. What do you think they sold? Do you think they sold out the stadium last night? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I didn't see a single NBC. I heard. 
I, from what I understand, to get to Provo, Utah, you have to fly into Salt Lake. You have to take a train or a bus, and then you can drive, or you can drive. Yeah. And the final, but the final public transportation out of there, out of Provo, is like ten or eleven. So there was no way any of those guys, you know, the media guys that went, got out of Provo last night. Like they had to leave Provo the the this morning. So, I guess that's the only bad part is that it's like that's a secluded city, like a pretty pretty out there. Um, but moving on from that, I wanted to talk about. Okay, if you had told me before the season started, Arizona would be one last thing. Yes, fifty-two thousand people were in the stadium. Okay, so uh, okay, ten k less, not bad. Still not bad. There were a good amount of Cal fans that are due. Yeah. A small the, section of yeah. on ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's fine. Uh, I just wanted to talk and gain your thoughts on because if you had told me two weeks ago that Arizona would start the season zero and two, and ASU would start the season two and zero, and by beating Michigan State, I would have told you you were crazy. Hmm. I wouldn't have ever told you. <laughs> <laughs> I think ASU was my pick for being really bad this year. Arizona, I went on the USC podcast and talked about how good Khalil Tate was. Uh, the question marks with Arizona were all around coaching and the same reason why UCLA isn't good this year. But uh, it's pretty wild to see the two flipped. I didn't yeah. expect Herm Edwards to be successful at all. Yeah. Well, at least not in the first year. But but then again, if you think about it, I, I was talking to our good friend Peter, and he I said Herm Edwards might have inherited arguably the best wide receiver quarterback combo in the country in my opinion i think manny wilkins to nikhil harry is arguably one of the best combo one-two punches at quarterback and wide receiver so you inherited that i mean it's a pretty easy offense to run throw to your your six foot four i think or five wide receiver who's in my opinion going to be a first round wide receiver in next year's draft and you saw that you know last week where he you know ran that little screen all the way to the other side and Man, they, they beat Michigan State at home. Sheesh. I mean, yeah. <laughs> in year one of Herm Edwards, I it's, just... it's baffling. Oh, my God. <laughs> and Sumlin's 0-2. <laughs> Who would have thought? That's crazy. College football, man. I love this time of year. You never know what's going to happen on any given Saturday. Uh, any other surprises for you from, from college football? That's it. Yeah, the Arizona and Arizona State, yeah. I mean, that's the biggest surprise in the Pac-12 probably so far. Um, Stanford beating USC? Expected it. Yeah. Yeah. USC looks looks beatable, and I just won't go as far as saying that we're going to beat them on the road. No, we won't talk about that until we get to that game week. 15 years, <laughs> but, uh, or more, more than that. No, 15. Yeah. But, um, you know, there, I think, I can't even remember the last time we won at USC. But, yeah, they don't look... Good at all. All the USC fans are upset, but well, this will happen. This happens every single year. So at this point, I'm just going to get used to uh, USC struggling early on, adjusting, and then by the time Cal rolls around, they'll have a few things going for them, and it'll make it a lot harder matchup for us than it than it would be if we got them earlier in the season. Yeah. And also, Stanford looks like a harder matchup now than it did when they played San Diego State too. Stanford's a matchup that I still think is is as winnable as it was at the beginning of the year because there isn't anything to me that stands out with Stanford that's different and I thought that we thought that KJ Costello would be better um the defense itself I still don't think is that good um which is the weakness 
Yeah. Our offense looks a lot worse. Like the, <laughs> it's more on us that I think makes the matchup look different. It's just that our <sighs> offense looks way worse than what I was necessarily expecting. But I don't think there's anything I've seen from them that makes me think it's a harder matchup for us to win. I just think like the BYU is a perfect test. And I think the segue is really well into this is that BYU ran what I would say is like a very Stanford style of offense. They have very big receivers. They had a lot of, uh, they had a pretty decent sized line and they play a possession game and we can play that game too. And we can do it more interestingly than, than, uh, you know, BYU could. It doesn't mean we could do it maybe to that level. I just think we're going to be even with them. We're going to win at home. I just think that, but, um, yeah, BYU, I mean, that was so fascinating is, after the end of the first half, it just felt like Cal had zero possessions and uh, BYU was moving a little bit downfield and then getting stopped. And um, I could very well see the first half of the big game being quite the same. Know, quite the same. Not boring, but uh, you know, a lack of fireworks. All right. I mean, I guess we'll get right into it then. Um, so Cal plays at BYU, Lavelle Edwards Stadium in Provo, Utah. I mean, I mean, as we said, 52,602. Um, people in attendance and 7.30 p.m. kickoff, which is, I I believe, their mountain time. So they're 8.30. 8.30. So, yeah, a late kickoff there um, <clears throat> on ESPN. So, of course, back-to-back national broadcast games. Cal wins 21-18. Uh, of course, we go two-quarterback system this time, which we'll talk about in a little bit with Chase Garbers and Brandon McElwain. Ross Bowers did not play. He was suited up and had a headset on. And you saw him roaming the sidelines a bit and talking to Derek Clark after his fumble. And once again, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So just some stats to go over. Um, Cal had 22 first downs compared to BYU's 17. Also had 184 yards on the ground compared to BYU's 91. Um, Passing total, we went 23-35 with one INT. They went 22-41 with two INTs. But we also had two touchdowns passing. Um, any other statistics that you would like for me to read out? No, because I think they're all kind of bloated on BYU's side because of the last drive. Yeah, uh, the big I think the big individual stats that I'll highlight here is Brandon McElwain rushed 16 times for 74 yards and a touchdown. Chase Garbers ran five times for 45 yards, and Patrick Lair 10 times for 32 yards. Passing wise, Chase Garbers 18 of 28 for with one interception, two touchdowns, 176 yards, and the long was a 52 yard. Touchdown bomb to, to Conovai Noah. Brandon McElwain, 5 of 7, 38 yards. And then Conovai Noah, of course, 7 receptions, 93 yards of the touchdown. Patrick Laird, 7 receptions, 53 yards of the touchdown. There you have it. Those are our offensive stats. So, get right into it. Your thoughts on the game? Uh, the game was the game was <laughs> really good. <laughs> uh, it was so different from last year. The growth that we saw in the first half was, okay, Last year we paid that bend not break defense, and I feel like we gave up field goals. This year we didn't give up. We bent, and but then we just got the stop. <laughs> yeah, and uh, got the ball back, and that was humongous. And their offense was rolling last week with Squally Canada, like uh, getting three touchdowns against Arizona, um, and Mangum or however you say his name, because I always want to say Magnum. Um, you know, is is a good thrower. I actually looked at him and was like, well, we, oh my, can't we have a quarterback that can throw the ball like this? Um, but uh, he's, you know, the, and we totally bottle up that offense. And we are, it's not just like bottling up, we are drilling guys. And 
Uh, oh, that Ashton Davis hit. The oh. Ashton Davis hit. <laughs> I've watched it like seven times. The one that comes in and has the boom. Yeah. In the yeah. Uh, Evan Weaver is a stud. Like He's everywhere. Just finishing tackles like Zach Follett. And um, seven, t- seven solo tackles, five assisted, 12 total tackles, and three pass breakups and one QB hurry. Those are big. <laughs> yeah. And he was spiking balls. So yeah. it was exciting. It was fun. I was sad I wasn't at a bar. I just honestly was so beat that I was like, I'll just take the cash to myself and I'll zone in and just watch the game in isolation. And by like halfway through, I was like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Super fun. How about you? Uh, yeah, I think the game, at least defensively, was, of course, one of a thing of beauty. It It's so much fun to run back the tape on this defense. It is ridiculously fun to... And the best parts about it, I think, are you you look at you look at a play, right? You look at you know like the Zionde Johnson sack, or you look at one of the Evan Weaver bat downs, or you look at some of the Cam Bynum pass breakups, or Travion Beck's interception. When you look at the play as a whole, every time you watch it, you rewatch it, you notice something else. You notice, oh, I didn't even see that stunt happening. Or how the edge defender backed off, looked like he was dropping into coverage, and then stunted around and and ran up the ran up the middle. Like there's so many things that you don't realize just from watching one time, and that's that's huge because I think it'd be so confusing from a, like a quarterback or offensive line standpoint if they're not doing even the simplest of disguises. They're doing multiple disguises, right? Where it's not just he he heads up at the line, so you think he's going to blitz, but he but he backs up. No, it goes one further. You think he's dropping back, but then he puts the puts the brakes on that and then rushes straight at you. So he's delaying it twice. So as you're you're constantly in there in your mind, figuring out where where are they coming from? Is he actually dropping back into coverage? Is he actually blitzing? Like are they are they stacking on one side? Like. It's insane how cool the the defensive packages are, and it's in a, it's been quite a while since you know it's been fun to watch defense. And dude, I I absolutely love it. And they they did a great job of as you said, balling them up, making sure they weren't getting any momentum whatsoever. The only qualm I have about the defense is that UNC game and this game as well, we went to prevent early. In my opinion, that gave them. Just enough to to pull back the score to make it, you know, one onside kick away from making it real interesting, and that's that's the big thing I have. And of course, you can you can flip it to the offense, right, and say if they scored a couple more touchdowns, this this game's even more in hand. But if they converted that drive that yeah. went four and out on, yeah, then uh, it wouldn't have been a thing. I think, yeah, I don't know, I. Don't really fault them too much for that last drive because it was four down territory and fair four down territory is hard. It's yeah. like it's like the same reason why NHL teams give up goals when they're up by one goal or down like up by two goals when someone pulls a goalie. It's you know, it's not a game situation it's not a game threat as often that you deal with. And when a team knows they have four downs to work with, it means all of a sudden, okay, like three yard gains are fine. Because I have four downs that I'm going to go with, and I have my backs up against the wall, and then you also have to def- you have to defend it differently. So to me, it's like there has to be some expectation for regression there. We're not just going to yeah. shut every like to shut somebody out, especially in a close game. 
you nailed it. I put it on the offense because if we had scored an additional touchdown, there's no reason for BYU to be pressing like that, and they're not going to score that touchdown. And really, the only reason why we're there in the game is because Derek Clark fumbled that football directly to the BYU defense, and they scored. Otherwise, we were in that position being up 21-3, and I think that offense, who, who cares if they go into four-down mode? They're not going to have that same level of urgency. They still have belief. We had an opportunity to put belief out of or take like belief out of it. And uh, I look at the turnovers as, and mainly the fumble, the interception. Honestly, should have cost us way more. Yeah. Uh, sorry, both of the fumbles. Yeah. Uh, not the interception, but the interception wasn't great either. But yeah, the Vic fumble. Un- oh my gosh, totally unacceptable. <laughs> but uh, it, you know, without those mistakes, because that's a possession. I mean, you just. That's a possession there, additional possession we didn't take, and then the next guy we didn't convert. So to me, it's just all, all on the offense. Yeah, I mean the 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 myth the muffed punt by Vic, like the only saving grace out of that was that the defense got the ball back immediately. Defense it was a three and out. Took them yeah. and said, Hey, it's cool that you're at the 14. We're gonna move you to the 50. <laughs> 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 Uh, I that, mean that was incredible. Yeah, that, jeez. I mean, Buddy Anderson texted uh, the group thread that I made for Kyle and said, "We have the best defense in the world." And <laughs> I'm on delay, so I saw that, and I swear there were three plays that I didn't know which one he was talking about. <laughs> it just got better and better and better. I was like, "Oh my god, we do!" <laughs> that was our texting too when I called you, and you're like, "Wait, wait, I, oh, let's hang up. Let's talk a little later," because I was already at halftime. And you weren't you weren't at halftime yet. It's terrifying uh, when you understand how far delayed you are. On, on you're like a good 15, 20 seconds away. Oh, way more than that. I was like every time on Twitter. Yeah, anyways, we won't go too much yeah. into this, but at least a good forty-five to a minute delay. Well, I just wanted to give up. I just wanted to say one of the notes from this game was that um, so Chase Garbers and Rusty Becker made their first career starts. Um, Marcel Dancy. Siu Fuimono, Lone Toyeloa, and Jake Tongas played their first career game for the Bears. So hats off to those guys getting their first game. I don't know if you you saw that play, but that one play that Lone got that QB hurry coming off from the right side, that was incredible. Like that's that's the thing I was I've been telling people about all the time is that he's gonna be a wrecking ball into the backfield in certain packages for now until he fully gets, you know, the 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 playbook and the packages down, but oh lord, he destroyed that left guard and was just into the backfield. And Mangum was running for his dear life. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> I uh, I love that play. I think his coach shouted him out on Twitter. Yeah, out. and um, there I, I would just say this checks a box for us from last week, and that's like why there's so much optimism coming into this podcast versus the last. Is we got to see a lot more of what you actually saw. Yeah. And um, so that was great. I think a big question mark was where are these other players that we know that are dynamic that can make? Yeah, where's the depth? We won with depth. starters. Yes. And so we, but we saw that depth. Marcel Dancy had a couple of good runs. I think yeah. he can, he'll do a lot really more did. once he gets once he, he gets really another did. run of the games. But yeah, um, let me ask you this: Do you have any moments or turning points in the game for you? In the second half, uh, third quarter. Third quarter when we uh, scored on that Noah touchdown felt it was in the books right right there. Um, I don't think it was in the books because they 
we still hadn't really figured out like how much better Cal's defense was going to get yet, but uh, it was one of those things where I think it started to look more. It just looked more winnable. You know, it's one thing to be up seven three, um, and then it's a totally another to be up like fourteen three, fourteen three. Just mathematically, in order what has to happen, you know, either our defense would really have to melt down in a way that we, you know, we're pretty confident that, you know, knock on wood, wouldn't necessarily happen in that situation, um, or, you know, yeah, I mean, or a bunch of turnovers, and so I think once we had that fourteen to three lead, it just sort of that was really for me when it was like, okay, like let's go, let's go and take this thing. What about you? Turning points for me. Uh, for me, it was that drive that got the Brandon McIlwain touchdown. That, I think, just, it it finally felt like that offense on that drive had such good rhythm and was just clicking and knowing who who he was going to go with, where the ball was going, like what the play calls were going to be like. If, it felt like the team knew play calls before the play calls. Like, they, they knew, all right, this is the play call now, but we also know this is the next one and this is the next one. And they were just executing just constantly and just kept rumbling down the field, down the field, down the field until, of course, Brandon McElwain punched it in, you know, with that read option. So, I mean, I guess that's a good that's a good point to, to turn into the quarterback conversation here is. Well, let me add on. That. Oh, OK. Go ahead. One of the one things that the pretty much useless announcer said in this game that I actually found very interesting <laughs> Was that Doug Baldwin had said? Doug Baldwin. Oh, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it as soon as I said Doug. <laughs> Anyways, Bo Baldwin. Uh, gosh, said that uh, he didn't want to look at his sheet. This game, he said in North Carolina, he felt like he was looking at his play calling sheet far too often, and that he wanted to get into an offensive game flow yeah. and be able to call plays that based more based around like feel. Or the game itself, it's almost like a DJ set in a really weird way. <laughs> versus like a pre-planned DJ set versus what they call like the actual DJ yeah. set, where you're going and feeling the vibe of the crowd. And I found that to be very interesting. Um, and I, you know, that is the one quality thing they said. So when you talk about that drive, that's what that means to me. Is that I, I it just happened to be right around the time where they like hit with that little line, and then you started to see us kind of open up and players get comfortable. Everybody looked more comfortable in the second half. Garbers, yeah. McElwain, the entire offense. So let's talk about the quarterbacks then. So we had, going into this week, earlier in the week, it was a or-or. So it had Ross Bowers or Chase Garbers or Brandon McElwain. All three traveled to Provo. Ross was suited up, but we got notification that Chase Garbers was probably going to be the starter probably a few hours before the game started. And then, lo and behold, Chase Garbers is the first quarterback out there. And then Brandon McElwain is the change of pace guy. And Ross Bowers does not see the field at all. He's suited up on the sidelines uh, with the headset on. We saw him, you know, everyone saw him on ESPN after the Derek Clark fumble, him going over there, patting him on the back, like telling him it's all right, it's all right, you know. Thank goodness, because there were a lot of people that were concerned that he yeah. didn't exist. Yeah, that he wasn't even there. Um, but all you need to do is uh, look at his Instagram page and know that he was, yes, there in Provo. But yeah, I I don't know. I really wanted this to be sorted out by this week. Like, 
going into Idaho State because I wanted Idaho State to kind of be that one tune-up game for our one quarterback who's going to be our starter moving forward. Mm. And then so he can get that game play, game time in. Then you get the bye week so you can tune up everything else and you're ready for Oregon at home. So that's that was my that was my utopian timeline. But of course we didn't get that. We don't have more questions. We just have more difficult choices. Is that I think that's the better way of putting it. Because it's it's pretty much unless Ross is able to go as of right now, it's Garbers or McElwain. And even if Gar if even if Ross is one hundred percent, with the way that Garbers and McElwain played in Utah, I just don't think that you can just t- put that aside and and put Ross back in as as the starter. Hmm. Yeah. So what you're uh, mentioning is something that we've talked uh, talked a lot about off mic. Yeah. Uh, which is that like it is at least my mine is not a, a my own opinion, but it's like made up of when we were in the press box. Shannon kind of sort of said, "I think Bowers got hurt in that North Carolina game," and then it's been echoed across Trace and Nam. So a lot of like well respect to people that Ross is probably hurt, and it is the only these are hy- hypotheticals by hypotheticals, the way. Hypotheticals, yeah. but it is the only sensible thing to me that makes, that makes sense. It's the only way I can link up why they would allow press access to the level that they did of camp of Bowers, having him be the interview after all of these camp practices. Like, why in the world would you ever do that <laughs> just to pull it away from them after one series? Like, it just doesn't. It to me, it, it's really hard to explain, and so I think. He's probably got hurt and uh, tried to come back in and something is wrong and they don't want to disclose that he's hurt so that teams maybe have another option that they have to game plan for. Uh, and they are really weird with injuries anyway, so I feel like that is in their character. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if Ross would come back with start. I honestly do think, though, if, like, if he was 100%, I think that he would actually start. And I think they would put him one and they'd spell him the exact same way they're doing right now with McElwain. And if I had to choose, I'd probably just start Mathline. I think he's the best that I've seen out of all the options. And But I haven't seen him start a game, a defense having to game plan for him and his skill set. So it could be that Chase's passing ability actually opens up a lot more of those running lanes that you know Mathline was so dynamic in. Um, so, But to, to bring this full circle, based on what you said, is exactly that i don't have any additional questions and i actually feel a ton better about the situation than i did a week ago because it seems like we have legitimate options in a in a in an offense that has a lot of room to improve but an offense that at least has some sort of identity yeah yeah i mean that that's i mean i think we've talked about this however many times over texting or phone calls but we're in agreement here. It's like it's the offense definitely has a lot to work on, um, which is really weird for us to talk about, considering the fact that we were decent on offense last year, and that's despite the fact that we didn't have the the you know dynamic guys that have left the program. Like they weren't on, they weren't playing last year. You know, D. Rob played the first two games maybe and we were without him for the rest of the year yet we still were a pretty good offense and it's it's not like it's something new like just a spur of the oh crap we lost our five-star guy like you know they 
we didn't play with him all of last year, and then he left, and they planned for him all summer without him, and we're running with the guys we have. So it's it's weird to see how much we've declined in terms of the offense. So how much of that is the inconsistency at quarterback? Like not inconsistency of play, but inconsistency of, of snaps because they talk about this all the time um, with especially with the O-line is it's just you you get to understand the tendencies of your quarterback the more you play with him. Like if pressure comes from the left, you kind of know. I mean I was watching the Aaron Rodgers against the Bears today and that's – that's like, you know, case in point right there, right? It's how much of a connection he has with the O-line where they know if pressure comes from a certain way, he's going to react a certain way. Or, you know, if, if a guy jumps the line, the center, I'm just going to snap it no matter what because Aaron already knows that I'm going to snap it no matter what so we can get off a free play. Like that type of stuff, those little nuances, you won't get by constantly switching quarterbacks in and out. And maybe that's where this isn't fully working yet. Is and as because we've talked about how the O line play has to all is to improve as well. So, I mean, that's why I always bring it back to that McIlwain drive is where the O line looked super comfortable in that drive. That was the most comfortable drive I had seen them throughout the entire entire game. Yeah, um, and you know because they knew where he was going to be if he was going to run and if it was an RPO, like they're still in pass pro. And if he if he takes off in an option, they're still in pass pro, like he, they're not you know pulling guards you know to to make runs or anything like that. It's they're always going to be in pass protection, and it's just the quarterback's just going to take off. Like there's nothing else to to worry about there. So I think the offensive line made a significant jump. Yeah. From week one, I think last year if you look at North Carolina and was uh, Ole Miss the second game. Uh, no, I believe we had that third game. Third game. Okay. So the thing is, when I think about the offense early, is we still had a lot of questions, and then it just sort of seemed like over time we built up a more a better offense. But then we had the Washington game where the offense was terrible, and then against Stanford it was like okay. So you know we've had like this level of play before. I mean it hasn't been this bad from an advanced stats standpoint. It's pretty bad right now, <laughs> but I still think it's starting to see the right momentum forward uh, O-line was the perfect place to start they did not as good of a job again opening up running holes I think BYU's defense might be pretty good they're big at least their line the being guys are talking about them having two NFL you know, future NFLers there um, I'm confident that North Carolina isn't going to end up being as bad as they currently look <laughs> uh, and then yeah I think uh, the pass protection was way, 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 way better. Like, it wasn't like the pocket was collapsing. Garbage was running for his life last week uh, <laughs> against North Carolina. Yeah. He just didn't have to do that as much. And when he tucked it, it ended up being good plays. When he stayed in the pocket, they gave him enough time to make, you know, a couple of those really great plays, especially on the wheel route with Noah. Like, that's a play that takes a while to develop. You have to have good pass protection in order to make that play. Yeah. Uh, because he has to fake the, this, uh, whatever, the DB to the corner and then get them to bite there and then fly up. So if I mean that's it takes some time. So I would actually unsung hero, you know, going a little bit in, out of order, <laughs> but that would be my pick for unsung hero of the game would be the offensive line. All right. Um, so let me ask you this: Come Idaho State on Saturday, who's starting a quarterback? I they'll probably start Garbers. If Bowers is healthy, I 
I am close to saying something dumb. I feel so strongly <laughs> that they would start him uh, and then spell with Brandon McElwain and move Garbers back down. I think Garbers looks good. I, I didn't see anything that Garbers did that made me think that he was like a can't-miss prospect. I heard some people saying that he looked better than Goff, and I think that's ludicrous. Uh, Goff had pinpoint accuracy from the day that he was in first in camp as a freshman. And that was the hallmark of what he did. And then he struggled with passes getting batted down the same way that Chase does. Those type of mistakes drive me crazy. Every time I see him go up there and like literally throw a ball directly into the defensive line's head, like, like, (laughs) what are you thinking? Uh, I think he isn't at that level where I see necessarily like a Jared Goff type of progression from him. McElwain to me is far more exciting. Guy's got a great arm. He seems to really understand how to command an offense. Previous previous starter, you can absolutely tell. It, it just seems like, to me, like I would go there, but I bet Garbers and or the passing quarterback starts the game, and we spell the very same way. And I'd imagine that's going to be some balance of the strategy going forward unless McElwain completely blows everybody out of the water and just runs off with a starter job, which I also could, could see conceivably happening. see happening. I could see that happening against Idaho State. I could I could see him coming like having that coming out party, you know, where he just breaks off a couple big runs and because of that they give him a couple pass plays and they're respecting his run game. So he just explodes for, you know, those 40-yard bombs down the sidelines to Noah or to to Warden and that he, he ends up with one of those, you know, 185-yard passing with two touchdowns. Yeah, the, yeah, <laughs> with another 125 on the ground like I could easily see that happening. Um, against Idaho State. And, you know, it's funny because people were like, you know, like, why is the McElwain playing? Why is the McElwain playing? Like, shouldn't he be the best? And, you know, he didn't have the strongest of camps. But what I did always say was whenever it was an open practice, whenever it was the spring game, you know, whenever it was that type of setting, he always excelled. And I, I got the feeling that he was a gamer. Like, he might not show it in practice, but when the lights come on, and the TV guys are out there, and the crowd's in full force. Something turns on for him, and he just gets so much better. And you saw that on that drive. You know, the run plays, then he pulls the quick slants to Noah. Like, and those balls were threaded, yeah. especially that that Noah, that Noah slant right over the middle in the basically triple coverage. Ill-advised, by the way, but still put enough zip on the ball to get past the linebacker and threads it right into Noah's numbers before the safeties collapsed on him. Ooh, I mean, that's... RPOs is his biggest strength to me. Yeah. I think from what I've seen from him in comparison to Bowers last year is my biggest issue with Bowers is that I felt like he did a really bad job of sensing when was the right time to give the ball to the running back, when is the right time for me to keep it and throw it. Mm-hmm. He far too often gave the ball to Laird, especially against North Carolina this year. And he just also kind of did that last year in situations that looked like the defense was queuing up against the run. He would feed the run and then we would get nothing. McElwain seems to feel it out, out a lot better. Oh, he also, makes the read. Yeah, he makes the read. And then the deeks that they do with him, um, you know, the one play that didn't work on that conversion, I actually thought was a really good play call. The announcers hated it. They were like, oh, this is a really bad play call. I actually really liked it. I thought it was great. Like, they had him off balance all day. He fakes the run, which I thought the defense would queue up on. And honestly, Malik did get free on that. It just so happened that the way that the defense was set up, they had their DN that 
spilled out and he ended up committing to McElwain anyways. It just was so late that I don't think the play really materialized the same way. I still think that the play call would have been successful. I think BYU kind of lucked out into having the right defense in that, in that situation. Um, so the RPO stuff is an app, and that's really why, is if that's going to be the offense we run, it's kind of boring, but so be it. And uh, I think he's the one that runs it the best. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it after the UNC game, right? Because the, the run style that we ran against UNC looked total power run. It looked total Oregon like Royce Freeman, you know, that that type of inside zone power run game and then quick passes to the outside. Like it looked a bit like the Oregon offense. But then you go into this game and it's like the with this personnel, the best clicking offense was when McElwain on that drive, you know, did the RPOs, did the pulls, and, and Chase did as well. He did a lot of the RPOs. And I think that mixed in with some of our drop back passes with, you know, all the, the different, you know, route tree stuff that we have set up, that could be a totally game-changing offense. Yeah. Um, if you were to able to implement that many wide receivers into that many, you know, route tree and clear outs and stuff with an RPO, holy crap, I don't know how you would even prepare to defend that. If it's all reaction based, anyways, if it's not preset, that would be where I would go. It's just a matter of execution and having the right personnel to to be able to execute those things. And you would think that the wide receivers, with the experience that we have, would be able to execute. But I don't know. I I would need to go back and look at the tape over the last two games. But from what I've what people have said from their rewatching of the games is that it doesn't look like the wide receivers got too much separation from their defenders and I mean if that's the case then yeah of course you're gonna have a quarterback that struggles to pull the trigger on which wide receiver to throw to mm-hmm. yeah I mean, I mean yes yeah I'm not, I'm not surprised <laughs> uh, you can see how badly we want to get Jeremiah Hawkins involved we're running well run plays or drag, drag routes yeah and, exactly yeah. so uh, we got to find the speed somehow. The announcers called Jordan Dunker, Duncan a speedster, and he—I haven't known him to be that speed aerial threat. <laughs> Maybe, He's a total hands guy. Which, by the way, yeah. his his one hand, his grab yeah, with the toe touch—it's amazing. Oh my goodness! It's so good. God, that was incredible. Yeah. All right. So we'll move on from there. Before we move on to our weekly awards. Your adjustments for this game going into Idaho State. What do what do you think our big adjustment needs? Penalties and turnovers. Create more turnovers or create give up less turnovers. Give up less turnovers. Get less penalties. <laughs> the false starts. I think Jake Curran had two. Yeah. Uh, we had a lot of. It seemed like holding calls that took back big runs. I think Dancy had a run that got called back. Yeah. Um, it. You know, it just was a sloppy game. Like, you could see Wilcox on the sideline just frustrated. And I was frustrated watching it because we put ourselves in third and long, and we aren't a good third and anything right now, uh, except for the second half. The first half, we're terrible. Third and inches. <laughs> third and inches were fine. Uh, and uh, it just was one of those things where we made it work, but we probably should have been more penalized for playing a little bit sloppier and to think like at one point in time we're going to have to stare at a turnover margin of zero to three and somehow come out with that win it's like okay it can happen but it's not really how you go out and win games on the road 
at a packed stadium with a team that is feeling good about themselves. So those would be the two. Protect the ball. Like obviously don't fumble it. Uh, be a little smarter in the decisions. Uh, throwing the ball, I think the two to me, are, as we talked about, are the fumbles. The fumbles were the most inexcusable. Derek Clark, like I just, I was honestly happy to see him in there. Yeah. And then to fumble it, and it, it's rather unfortunate the way it worked out. But just you know, gotta get rid of those. Yeah, I'm, I'm just totally surprised we're rotating this many quarterbacks, and the quarterbacks haven't turned the ball over. Like that's the most except for Chase. Except for Chase. I mean, but that I mean, I can live with the one like one interception, ill advised, like every once in a while. But like we, those two fumbles were were huge. Like. Mm-hmm. You know, quarterbacks who who are slinging the ball like that, you know, in, in out of rhythm and maybe didn't see the the linebacker dropping back into coverage. I mean, that's fine. I can live with that. But then, like a running back or a punt returner, like your job is to hold onto the ball to dear life until you hit the ground. And for you to miss miss those up, like that screws up the the whole formula of whatever the team's trying to do at that moment. So. Yeah, that that needs to be cleaned up. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we see more Dancy and Derek Clark gets a little even more or less um, with that, just because that room is so deep in terms of running backs that you could easily see giving you're going to fumble it. We'll give another guy a shot, um, and then same with Vic. Um, I think he did that for two of those punts one was one was real muffed and then the other one was like almost so I mean the one that they replayed yeah so I think maybe maybe you'll get him uh, Uh, someone else I don't want to give him any the one that like where the guy his own player like yeah I don't know with Brandon Smith running into him yeah I can't blame him on that but the other one yeah you can definitely (laughs) blame him for and um yeah, I think he bought trade uh, some in and out. Well, that's what I said on on the Golden Bucks. Where I said if if the defense gets it, there was this like out. he actually said like yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bought him breakfast or lunch or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I did see that too. So yeah, that was a that was a must. That was a definite must favor uh, for the defense. All right, we'll move on. We'll go to our weekly awards. All right, your offensive MVP. Hmm. Offensive MVP. Mm. Most valuable. Mm-hmm. I've given a lot of love to Brandon McElwain tonight. So I'll go and acknowledge the Garbers played really well as two touchdown passes were incredibly nice throws. He had some misses long. And there's some throws that I just watched long that I'm like, boy, that was terrible. <laughs> uh, I think Jordan Duncan was wide open. On yeah. a pass, and he just threw it 15 yards short, and we got a PI, which to me was a pretty obvious call. But um, there's another one where I think Jeremiah Hawkins might have been running down the field into triple coverage, and he just like threw this duck up into the air, and it landed like 10 yards to the right. It's very Bowers esque to me. So why am I talking about this now with the MVP pick? <laughs> uh, I thought he felt the pocket really well. He ran really well. Um, Way, be- way more mobile than I ever, ever, ever expected. He had so many plays where uh, he had a perfect idea of the down and distance and got across it and made the right decision and, and made him fast, you know, not passing on the opportunity to run. So I thought, like, he did a great job, especially in that environment for a redshirt freshman. So 
Uh, I'm going to choose Chase Garbers as my pick for offensive MVP. Oh, boy. That leaves me a tough choice. Um, I mean, I, we've been talking about Brandon McElwain a lot, so I don't I don't want to pick Brandon McElwain here. I kind of want to go someone else. Um, there is, I just, oh, come on. I have a perfect pick for you. Who is it? A wide receiver. Kind of I know. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, that was the second one I was aiming towards. The dude is that's that's a real gamer, like <laughs> because he got lit. Yeah, not only not only is it, is he a gamer in the aspect of like he's just such a fierce competitor, but he shows up in some of the most clutch moments necessary. It's 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 so weird. Like so, so I'm a big soccer fan. For one of the basic instincts of a natural forward. Or, a, in, or an out-and-out striker, which is someone who just scores goals naturally, is what – or one of the things that they look for is just being able to be in the right place at the right time. So doesn't matter if it's like, you know, like a ricocheted ball. Being at that spot where the ball ricochets into your feet, like that's – it's luck, but it's also a skill. Like just knowing where to place your body, where – what pockets of space to be in and so on. Kanavai has that in some of the – craziest like third down plays and broken plays just knows exactly where to be and where the pockets are and what his physical capabilities are for in order for him to make that play like he's not gonna he's not gonna sit behind the linebacker you know and in between the safety and try to make a 40 inch jump you know to get the ball like that's not his style but he's gonna he's gonna curve in and out to get in front of that linebacker right before the sticks to get you that 15-yard pass that gets you out of a third and nine, you know? And that's what was so it's, – it's incredible for me to watch him and for all of us to. But, and then, of course, the 52-yard touchdown run, which, my God, there was no one else in the area after he blew by that, <laughs> that DB. So he was – that was just free grass. But I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, man that, that dude better not cut his hair because I feel like – it's like Samson. The moment he cuts his hair – all his powers will disappear. And I'm pretty god he doesn't. Seven targets. Seven receptions. Yeah. 100%. Epic. Oof. Anything thrown his way. Glue on his hands. Defensive MVP for you? Uh, yeah. Yes. I kind of go with Evan Weaver. <laughs> uh, I was just so impressed. I was so impressed with how good he looked. I just wasn't... I don't know. I've watched Evan Weaver a lot and I've heard... There were a lot of calls for the time that he was going to break out. You know, we heard it. I think we've heard it three years in a row. Um, a little bit of the, the noise. And then this year was the loudest I heard it. It was, okay, it's time. And he just looks super good. <laughs> he looks like one of those guys that's just made to play football. His neck is enormous. <laughs> He's got a little He's bit He's got of the noise. linebacker body. The square head, you know, like the Erlacher style. Like, um so, he, yeah, exactly. He's got the linebacker body. He makes plays all over the field. He doesn't give up on any plays. Um, you know, even when you see someone run out of bounds, he's like the guy standing at the sideline just kissed his side from the field. Uh, he, gets in, he disrupts in the backfield. So I, I have, would have a hard time choosing anyone else. So I apologize for choosing him. <laughs> You're taking away my dude. Um, yeah, I mean, but one thing that's cool for this season is to see how – like some of the hype guys that we've talked about for years finally coming into fruition. 
And for you, I know has been Evan Weaver because we've always talked about him for years. This is the year. This is the year. This is the year. Finally, this is the year. <laughs> uh, my defensive guy. Oh my God, there's so. I love how there's so many guys to choose from. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's so many options here. Um, Evan Weaver was great. I think. All right. I think for me, it's it's gotta be Jalen Hawkins once again. Comes out great. I mean, so here's the thing. I tweeted this out on the Golden Blocks account when we were watching the game. But by golly, how good is it that our top two tacklers are no longer our DBs? The ball, the the ball carrier is not getting past our two middle linebackers. That's huge. And then because look at this drop off. Like we have Jordan Kanasich with 12 total tackles, Evan Weaver with 12 total tackles. The next guy is Hicks with seven. And most of those, if if I charted it correctly, are just like quick passes to the outside where he just he, he gets the ball and he's, he's just wrapped up immediately. Yeah. So they're not really like, you know, chased down 20 yards down the field, you know, type of DB tackles. It's just they're running just the quick passes to the outside. So, yeah, but Jalen Hawkins, once again, as a safety, only had one tackle. Like, oh, sorry, two tackles. And he had the one interception. That's perfect. Like that, it, if you want to look at numbers, if your safety has zero tackles and your defense is shutting, like shutting the offense down, your defense is doing something right. Yeah. Because <laughs> the front seven is taking care of everything, and the safeties are just sitting back there going, "All right, just if he if he gets hit as he throws, I, I guess I'll go get the ball." Like that. That's about it. But of course, that interception was once again amazing. So that's three interceptions, two games for a starting safety. And, man, that Gerald Alexander tutelage has done wonders for this squad. I mean, we have to give credit where it's due, right? And I don't want to give credit because I don't want anyone to notice. <laughs> <laughs> we, have to get credit, we have to give credit where it's due. And you know where I'm going to give this credit? And I'm going to give it to Sonny Dykes. <laughs> because most of these DBs that we have were brought in under Sonny. Yeah. Man, which I, back, <laughs> see, isn't that weird to talk about? That no, I mean, I get it. I mean, well, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, Sonny went for size. Yeah, but, but we the DBs that are playing so well now, right? Cameron Bynum, Jalen Hawkins, Evan Rambo, right? Those are all guys brought in under Sonny, and now due to our coaching, is is excelling. Yeah, crazy to think about. Yep. 100%. Yeah. It was very interesting. I was on this thread with Bryce. Not that Bryce was talking to me on Twitter, but I responded to – he was kind of talking about how, you know, back in 2013, you know, they gave up like 60 points a game. Yeah. And uh, 40, 50, 60 points a game. And then also they played BYU and gave up 35 or something like that. Yeah, and lost. And lost. And I kind of said, well, it's really – and then uh, someone responded and said, well, could you imagine that offense with this defense? And I was like, you can't, you can't really do that. And that was like my point was you can't really say, can you imagine this defense with that offense? Because even if you had Wilcox as the D coordinator, you have a system fit that, you know, with Dykes causes a really – you know, our, our offense tended to burn out extremely fast so we'd have drives where we'd go downfield very quickly and we'd have drives we'd go four and out in a second and then it's like defense you're back on and guys got tired 
And so I was just saying, like, you, that's one of those things where it looks like a major difference. Like, it's nice to say, yes, it would be great, let's do both, but I just don't think it's possible. Uh, and Vic responded and was, like, saying that it was different personnel. And it's, like, unfair to make the comparison between that those players versus these players and blah, 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 because they're younger. And I still think you can say it. Um, and I think, yes, we do have Sonny Dykes. I think Sonny Dykes was right in saying that DBs needed to be bigger, but I also don't think he was any sort of prodigy in that prognosis. No. Um, I, I've, people around the NFL were looking at the Seahawks and looking at Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman being like, oh, size matters in your defensive backs. And he was like, oh, okay, we're going to recruit guys that are tall. And we know that Sonny Dykes pointed to the player, not the coaching. And I would like to point to the coaching yep. as, as much as the players. Yep. And say and so when you say, like, sure, we can shout out Sonny Dykes, but I think in reality, like, I think that Gerald Alexander is just an incredibly talented defensive backs coach. Oh, yeah. I'm fully with you on there. I'm just, I'm just arguing the counterpoint of let's imagine – if could you imagine what these DBs might have turned out to be if we still had Sonny Dykes as our head coach? They probably wouldn't. They not. wouldn't be as this this good. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Yeah, like so. I so that's why I'm saying it's just a, it's a combination of both. Like he brought in great diamonds in the rough type of players. Yeah, and Gerald Alexander has done a phenomenal job of turning them into Thanos' gauntlet. Like <laughs> that's that's pretty much what we're doing. Is is they're they're snapping their fingers and we're getting the ball. If you throw it to our DVs, that's what's happening. Um, so, yeah, it's man, and that he put out he put out a tweet after the game, Gerald Alexander did, where it was a screenshot of College Game Day, where everyone except Kirk Herbstreit uh, said that BYU was going to win, and then he had a like the next image was a Shannon Sharp from from uh, what 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 he. Uh, what we, talk show is that in the morning? Because it involves Skip Bayless. So, yeah, so. but on that on that <laughs> show, and it's just like him, like you know, it's a screenshot of him just laughing. Um, and I was like, oh, dude, man, this, this I love this guy's Twitter. Did you remember <laughs> when they broke down how many tweets he does? Yes, <laughs> yes. On the broadcast, God, they couldn't think like, of anything else to talk about. How day. does this man tweet this often? Uh, <laughs> oh, my oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! All right, let's move on. Unsung hero. All right. Did I get mine? I think I get mine. Which was online. Online. That's yeah. right. My my unsung hero, Tevin Paul. Hey, great pick. Tevin Paul was oh my goodness, was he a force to be reckoned with that no one saw coming <laughs> and wasn't really noticed. I mean, other than the two like tack- the tackle for loss, um, I think it was two tackles for loss. It might have actually been. Let's see here, Tevin Paul, two tackles for loss for a total of five yards. Yeah, the the guy filled in for Cam Good admirably, um, and and was just as good. I mean, probably not as dynamic as Cam, but did exactly what we needed him to do, which was just create pressure on one side of the line, and because of that, allowed other guys. And if they focused off of him, he was in the backfield for you know taking down the the ball carrier. So, yeah, Tevin Paul, you are my unsung hero. That's a great pick. I think I think in a little bit he might not be an unsung hero anymore. Like he's going to be one of the guys that you zone in on, yeah, on the D line. You're just going to go, yeah, um, that's a name that you circle. You know, if you're the offensive coordinator, there's so many standouts. I thought Chris Palmer played really well too. Yes, Um, yes, that is a massive human being. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we'll move on to your surprise player. Mm. Well, you go first on this one. Give me a second to think about it. All right. I got an easy one. Travion Beck. Came out of nowhere with that interception. Well, not out of nowhere, but I mean, that was a that was one beauty of an interception. And then he he's one of those guys that's like, you know, when you look at the DBs, you think of Cam Bynum, you think of Elijah Hicks, you think of Ashton Davis, you think of Rambo, you think of Jalen Hawkins. But Travion plays that slot corner role like exactly how you need him to play. Because if he's not showing up on the tape and he's not, you know, getting tackles left and right, because I believe he had he had one tackle, right? You know he's playing his position right. I feel like that's a good good standard for DBs is that if you don't see him being mentioned, it's usually a good thing because that means that they're not targeting him because he's in coverage so well. And so, yeah, one tackle with one interception for 20 yards, dude was dude was a surprise player um, in my opinion. And I feel like he's he's going to get even better. Hopefully he went down with what looked like a hip stinger. Yeah. Um, hopefully he's fine with that. He walked off all right, but it was just one of those. He just got punches, tackled the guy, and ran right into his left hip. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping he'll be ready for Idaho State. Yeah, same. That's a good pick. Yeah. I'm honestly on the fence. I could choose uh, whoever did kickoffs, but I think it's the altitude. <laughs> I don't think they got to return the ball once. I think it's Landgreeb. Yeah? Yeah. Landgreeb is the, the, the kicker. I don't think that they returned one kick. Mm-hmm. I think they all went out. So probably altitude, but surprise player. That was a surprise to me. The other one I was going to choose was Patrick Laird because the reception he had on the pass, the garbage room was oh, it was a beauty. And it's not often you see a running back that has that level of hands. Um, so it was more of like uh, surprising to see that Laird could still be that effective as a receiver when he wasn't really that effective as a running back. He had one good run. I think honestly that was it for me. He's like he had one run where he like did a sweet cut, moved up field, got about 10, 12 yards. Other than that, it was uh, pretty slow going, and then he just totally made himself into a new weapon on offense as a receiver, and they had to respect it, and that opens up, you know, a ton of possibilities. And Warden and Hudson to to make some plays, and it was good to see the tight end make some plays. It's still been a massive disappointment from the tight end perspective. What we said, we had like three to four tight ends that could be incredible, and we've <laughs> literally seen the most mundane production out of them. So, looking forward to that getting better. I don't think we've ever read off kickoff stats before, but I'm gonna just give it to you since we're since you you gave it. Uh, Chris Langreeb four kickoffs, 260 yards, an average of 65 yards per kick, with three touchbacks. So one did get returned. Um, yes, for 17 yards. Yeah, nice job, surprise player of the week. <laughs> he's gonna get a big head now that he's uh, on the <laughs> All right, our last one, our bounce-back player for next week against Idaho State. Vic Wharton? I mean, please. <laughs> like, I'm waiting for this guy to break out because I know he's got it. Uh, he's got great hands. and I mean, He torched UNC last year. Yeah, so <laughs> it's going to happen, let's say, this week. Uh, I 
get concerned. I mean, Ashton Davis is also a good pick for this because he looks like he's actually has the potential to bring a kickoff back. And we haven't had someone that hurdle. The hurdle was incredible. <laughs> uh, it was it was perfect form. Like it was a perfect hurdling form. It didn't look any off. It didn't it look awkward like, at all. Boom, yeah, continuing on. So, uh, but I think Vic for more reasons than just special teams. I think Vic can actually uh, break out more as a receiver this game and uh, give up some vertical threat because we're finally going to have an opportunity for separation. If we are not getting separation against Idaho State receivers, then boy, like adjust expectations. Um, so yeah, the, the one thing I didn't see over the last two games, and this just came to me is I didn't see a lot of tunnel screens or a lot of screen passes. Like that was a huge thing for us when we played against UNC is that's how we got a lot of our wide receivers open is a bunch of screen passes to get, to create a little bit of running room and then just burst out into the secondary. We haven't seen a lot of that at all. These last two weeks, if I'm remembering the two games correctly. Yeah, and it's a good strategy to go into a team that you're actually physically bigger than yeah. and employ a screen because you have the size and blocking that can help. So that's a good call out. Uh, my bounce back player for next week is Ross Bowers. What? Yeah. That's a, from the cuts. Yeah, because I, I, if he's healthy which let's just assume that he is since we're never going to actually find out. I'm pretty oh, sure. So you're thinking he's going to come in against the FCS opponent. Mm-hmm. I think he, if he got, if he got hurt, right. And they saw enough from Garbers and McElwain to be like, all right, we can run with these guys and not, you know, force, force Bowers to play again. I think that's, I think that's why I think they're playing like galaxy brain level here is that's why they had Ross suit up. Because in the off chance that Garbers and McIlwain couldn't do crap against BYU, before the game got out of hand, they would put Bowers back in. But it didn't. We had the we had full control of the game all the way, maybe until the end, maybe a little bit. But we, you know, we had the score lead pretty much the entire game. So yeah, I think this is where you go: is you you maybe you let Garbers and McIlwain play out three quarters. Push the score up. Maybe you're up like 35 to 3 in the fourth quarter. That game's pretty much in the bag. Put Bowers in if he's fully, if he is ready to go. Put Bowers in, let him get some rhythm back. And then you'll have one last quarterback battle in the bye week and you're into Pac 12 play. Yeah. It really is the last week that we have some flexibility. Yeah. This really is. I mean, barring injury. Yeah. By Oregon time, hopefully we'll have first. Oh my god! If we're still running a two QB system by the time Oregon, I don't mind the two QB. I don't, I don't mind it. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. I mind the three, the three QB system. (laughs) I'm not a fan. The two is like, I like the idea of somebody spelling. Um, It'd be cool to see somebody just completely go into the role. But if we ended up spelling like that, um, it could be still an entertaining offense to watch. Yeah, this wasn't in. The first game was, as you said, not entertaining. I mean, it was boring. It was and not a fun game. It was not a fun game to watch. The offense was not fun to watch. This game, the offense was a little more fun to watch. Yeah. All right. Um, that's pretty much it for us. You got any final thoughts that you want to wrap up with on either going into Idaho State or about BYU? Mm-mm. Great win. 
Um, I think they, I, I looked at the road to six wins. Yeah. Um, so if you still count Oregon State as like super winnable, you move Arizona from what I think a lot of people had sort of said tough game to winnable and UCLA to winnable. And you mix in like Colorado, like Colorado looked good beating Nebraska, but we previously had pegged that. So it's like, it's a lot easier now. Yeah. Um, and then, sorry, I think I, so then you have Idaho State, obviously. So yeah. like there's, that's you're already at three wins. Barring. Yeah. You have basically four. You yeah. have your six. Yeah. Sorry. So it's Idaho State, Arizona, Oregon State, UCLA. UCLA. So, Are your four? Yeah. So it's wild. You're at six. And then what you just need to do is some things fall your way and you, you pull out two. the one, two. Yep. And that's the big one. But Stanford and Oregon. Oregon's doable because you're at home out of a bye week. Oregon's been my upset pick from July. So, actually, since Cristobal took over, but they look nice. They do. <laughs> they look way better than I thought. Yeah, they do look pretty dang good. And the, the one game for me that's flipped, since we're on this topic anyways, is Washington State. Washington State went from, like, not super winnable, but just, like, winnable to now 50-50 for me. Because hmm. that Minshew looks pretty good um, as the grad transfer quarterback. Michael Leach is he's a great coach. Oh my goodness! Offensively, amazing. He just needs a really good defensive coordinator, and which looks like he might have again, again, decently. Like not as good as Grinch, but still good enough. So yeah, this is this is going to be one tough fight in the Pac-12 North. I think name for you that it's like if you count Oregon as a loss, there's a real possibility of Cal being like going to some level of six and one. Yeah. Because of the scheduling? Yeah. So I think it's like, as we sort of said in the preview pod, it's like one of these years where I think the expectations will start moving higher and higher. higher. Yeah. And then it's going to be some tough losses. Wait, so what, okay, what game does that lead us into if we're six and one? Let me look at that. Let me take a quick look. In the meantime, I'll let you know I did not receive any tweet from game day saying that they were going to go to Berkeley <laughs> or right. Chris Fowler. Is Chris so, Fowler still with game day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What the hell, Chris? Oh, he might not have been at game day because doesn't he cover... He's covering U.S. Open. U.S. Open. That's yeah. why I was wondering. Yeah. I was like, oh, is he still doing it? Yeah. So I uh, I tweeted out, for those who don't know, I tweeted out this. It ended up being slightly inaccurate. Yeah. But if Cal goes, you know, right now it looks likely that Cal will be 3-0 and and Oregon could potentially... You have to meet Stanford, go 4 0. Coming home, you have Justin Wilcox, who mentored uh, Justin. Well, I looked at the schedule too. The one game that is the big one is I think Penn State plays Pitt that weekend, and that's like a top 25 matchup. So I think that's the only no, they one. They just played Pitt. Or wait, let me figure it out. They played uh, Pitt this weekend. Yeah. So, anyways. If Oregon were to go four and zero and come in, and you have Wilcox as the old coach of Oregon, um, or sorry, old player from Oregon, and then the the rumors, blah blah blah, in the off season, so on and so forth. There's storylines there. Game day's never been at Berkeley. It's what a great opportunity. Ohio State, Penn State. Who cares about that? But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, game day should take a stand against the Urban Meyer thing and just let Ohio State drift off into the distance and welcome <laughs> in the new era of football. On the West Coast. On the West Coast. 
All right, here's here's how it goes. Game one was against UNC, win. Game two was against BYU, win. Game three would be Idaho State. Game four would be Oregon. Game five would be Arizona. Game six would be UCLA. Game seven would be Oregon State. Okay, so you're saying we'd be six and one going into Washington, right? <laughs> yeah. Woo! <laughs> we'd be we'd be six and one going into a stretch of, uh, let's see, at home to Washington, away at Washington State, away at SC, and then home to Stanford. Yeah. So I think it's like, as I said, it's going to be a painful climb. Painful. Wow. It's going to be a fun climb wow. and a really painful drop. <laughs> it's going to be a really, wow. really yeah. painful drop because I think expe- expectations are going to grow exponentially. And then it's going to be one of those things where it's like coming back to earth and it will come back to earth where we have always wanted to be. But it will be like. Yeah. In, in terms of the season breakup, this this if we were to if we were to just fall straight back down to earth, the win loss would look a lot like 07. Yeah. Where you would go either one loss or, or you know undefeated right to the midway point of the season and then just completely fall off the map in the second <laughs> half. <laughs> completely destroy yourself. It's entirely possible. <laughs> it's like it's possible. It's just as it's as possible as not possible to me. Like with the defense being what it is and our offense being what it is, it's like could we you go know there what the, and on a mediocre offense and then just totally collapse? You know sure. what? You know what's going to happen, right? This is going to come full circle at us. We're going to do that. We're going to we're going to maybe squeak out one more win. So we're going to finish the se- season with seven, seven and five, and then we're going to end up going to the Armed Forces Bowl. No, <laughs> no. I've been a Cal fan Not for again. I've, I've been a Cal fan since 07, All right, I've seen two Armed Forces Bowls. Give me the <laughs> Vegas Bowl or. Just not El Paso. Please don't send us to El Paso. I've been saying this for years. Don't send me and Andy to El Paso, Texas. Holiday Bowl. Holiday, Holiday Bowl would Love be great. to go to San Diego. But that would mean that we would have to be third in the Pac-12, like it. overall. Sheesh. <laughs> Sheesh. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us. We got a lot to talk about in the next coming weeks. Um, so we got Idaho State this Saturday. Then we'll have – so we'll do a pod on Idaho State. And then we do have a break um, with our bye week. Maybe we'll do some fun podcast there. Maybe get a guest on or something. Um, and then on to Pac-12 play. Oh, baby. Yep. Oh, baby. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait for that Oregon game. That's going to be super fun. All right. And that wraps it up for us. Um, you can always find our stuff at CaliforniaGoldenBlocks.com. Follow us on at GoldenBlogs on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram at, at Golden Blogs. You can find Andy at Andy J Beast Mode. Don't me forget at. to sorry. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you to our sponsor, The Booth Brewing. If you're in Sacramento, come join us at Discovery Park uh, for a brew fest. And we'll be out there on Saturday if you're not going to the Cal game, which isn't really a good excuse, but if you're up there, come <laughs> hang out. If you live in Sacramento, and you don't have a ticket to the Idaho State game, and you have nothing else to do, that's a good second option is what we're saying. Right. Um, So, yeah, that wraps it up for us. And as always, go Bears. Go Bears.